Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retainer, and I am broadcasting from here in the Hamptons, a place I have lived for over 50 years. I've written 12 books about this place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small fishing villages to what it is today, a summer paradise for New Yorkers, artists, writers, musicians, movie stars, we have it all. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with the Hamptons' powerful people, but I will also introduce you to residents who contributed to our growth through the years, and you may not even have heard about them. And I'd like to welcome at this time Joe D'Elia, who is uh, one of the great composers for film in America, who lives, I believe, in Montauk. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm right yeah, here. Has had a, a long career. Some of the music he's written and performed found gold and platinum. Let's start with uh, Montauk itself. What brought you out here and how long have you been out here? I, you, you won't be able to compare to me, but you might come close. No, I think it would have been uh, late 80s, probably 88. And actually the director, Abel Ferrara, had a, had a, a rental in Hither Hills. And, uh, and that was kind of my introduction into Montauk a couple of years later, uh, bought a piece of property up in Hither Hills and built a house and, you know, and started living here. And then life, you know, took its own course. I ended up remarrying a girl from Montauk and I've been sort of around Montauk ever since, you know, really since, really since the mid mid nineties, I would say. Yeah, we're certainly welcome on our scene. Uh, tell me about where you grew up. And uh, uh, you, you and I follow similar paths in one regard, in that um, uh, you grew up in the, in the 50s in the suburbs. Right. Tell me about all that. Well, you know, born in Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay, and as so many families migrated up to the suburbs, probably at five or six years old, they moved to Rockland County, Pearl River, which was a very uh, conservative little town in Rockland and uh, ended up being the fourth of a brood of 13 kids. Yeah, and so we were, you know, in this very, very straight-laced town, we were pretty <laughs> pretty well noticed, I would say, you know, pretty odd, but it, it was really great. It was a it was a lovely upbringing and when started. You, when did you discover your interest in music? And that yeah, uh, that, that began uh, actually kind of late. I would say maybe at 12. I can remember it when I was maybe nine or, nine or 10 years old, a, a piano being rolled into the, into the house. You know, my, my mom wanted a piano. She played a little bit of piano. And I saw this instrument come in and I was like, I'm not sure what it is or what it does, but I think I could do something with it. I had this, this sense, but then it took a couple of years before actually starting some training. And then I was kind of off and running and started gigging by the time I was 13 or something. You know, it was like I abandoned uh, some of the traditional training for a while because I heard Jerry Lee Lewis and Fats Domino and Little Richard and all, all these guys. And I was able to play that stuff pretty easily. 
and I started doing gigs. You know, I was in nightclubs and bars and places where adult people were doing whatever it was they were doing pretty early on. You know, so you know, it, it took a while to. Was it a family group that you had? It was. It was a family group. We had a, a a teacher who would come into the house and he would teach the four oldest boys, starting with my brother Al, who was an accordionist and quite a quite an accomplished one. And I was the second one to start playing. And he felt that there was something going on here, and we got drums for my brother Michael, small set, and a guitar for my brother Frank. And we put an act together, Dan, that for the next four or five years really made some noise and were just on the cusp of, you know, really making it nationally. And we were signed to Sid Bernstein and RCA Records. There's a whole, there's a whole history, you know, it was that wave of, we came in a bit before the uh, British wave. So we were already playing. And then when the Beatles hit, they started signing acts and we were in on that wave of uh of young bands that were signed to major labels and we you know we kind of we were out there you started working piano and arranging songs and among the people that you uh worked with making records was chuck berry yes you you know dan that was in the in the early days uh, with the family group, which was called the Brothers, originally the Delia Brothers and then the Brothers. And we went on a tour of New England. And in those days, this would have been 1965. Opening acts would often be the backup bands for the headline acts. And we played behind in that tour. And I, I was maybe 16. We backed everybody from Steve Wonder and Chuck Berry and the Crystals and Little Eva. And there was a, a long list of great artists that we were barely qualified to actually back up. <laughs> but, you know, because they would just throw these professional manuscripts and charts in front of us and and we would have to play them. So it was a, a fantastic training ground. But yeah, Chuck Berry came in and, you know, sight unseen, no rehearsal, of course. He was famous for that but it was a live concert i think boston university goes way way back do you have any um, memory that stands out from that period i see uh i see uh martin short nathan lane bruce springsteen dusty springfield yeah adam sandler i'm just wondering if uh, you have a particular uh story about any of them that from working with them is Dusty Springfield was early on. There was a producer named Brooks Arthur, who was uh, he was an engineer at A and R Studios, and he started a recording studio in Rockland County in Blauvelt. And as I was maybe I don't know twenty years old or something, it became a an in for me to get into the studios as a piano player, which is what I wanted to be. That's what I was aspiring to be, was a studio session guy. And luckily we had this training ground there. And really the first call that I got was Dusty. And she was, you know, she was in there. It was like 1130 at night and Brooks called in and he said, can you come in and 
play some piano and Fender Rhodes and Hammond organ. And it was like, sure, what, what's the date? And he said, Dusty Springfield. And I, and I just was, you know, I, I was so excited because she had been someone, you know, through my teen years, that was such a seminal force and the best singer of, of all. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I think it may have been, if not her last, it may very well have been her last, her last album. And I, I know she, re, I remember one song that she recorded was called In the Winter, which was written by Janice Ian, who I also, who I also worked with. Uh, one of the, the credits that always comes up out here in the Hamptons, because since we started doing a lot of playing out here over the last number of years, uh, and my wife PJ would, you know, she would arrange interviews and press things. So there's quite a bit of that. And it always came up that that I was the original Muppet, which was a credit that I had forgotten. Uh, really, it was not. It was not something that I really had on my resume or my credentials. You know that I did this thing. But every wow. single time I was ever interviewed out here, or wow. did any uh, press or any, anything like that, it, it was always just about the first question. And I thought you probably had it on your list as well, and that you were going to ask me the Muppets question. So I brought it up. Uh, but it, Joseph Papp hired the band in to do a tour of the parks. This was 1967. And it was just a wonderful gig. So Jim Henson and the Muppets were unknown, the unknown entity. And we went to this loft, and there were all these, it looked like marionettes and things hanging around. And he said, can you guys write a, a spot, you know, a one minute song? And they gave us a budget. We went into a studio in the city, knocked out this rock and roll song, recorded it. And two weeks later, like every other family in America, we were sitting in front of the, the tube watching Ed Sullivan and the thing came on. So, and it was the very first Muppet performance and the, the debut of the Muppets to America. So, so it was a credit that I had forgotten about, but one that always comes up. So I thought, <laughs> I, thought I would mention it. Tell me about, tell me about your uh, film scoring and writing. How did that come about? You know, these careers kind of take on their, their own life. I, I had been working as a session player and, and arranger. So I was like uptown doing you know, records, record dates and disco records and stuff. This would have been like sort of the late 70s. And my brother, uh, Frank Francis, had introduced me to a film director who had ended up in Rockland County for a short period of time. And it was Abel Ferrara. And it was that introduction that, you know, took me from the studios uptown down to his loft and to this downtown film scene. So Abel was the, the first connection. I had no, I was arranging records. So I had some experience uh, with orchestration and arranging and that stuff because I I'd studied that stuff. But I had no desire or ambition to be in film. And then upon meeting Abel and doing the first film with him, which led to a second and a third. It started a, 
what's now. I mean, Jesus. Am How I many done so far? I think, I mean, I've done a large part of uh, Abel's body of work. So I've done, I don't know, at least 15 films with him and maybe 20. I mean, I haven't counted. I, I know in the last five years, we've done at least five or six films together. So How do you it's been, go about scoring? When you're scoring a film, you're not scoring an hour and a half uh, performance. It comes and goes in the film. It depends. You know, there, there are those that we... Uh, think of as wall-to-wall music, which can be pretty wall-to-wall. You know, typically the music is coming in and out. I think the the process changes from film to film and director to director, you know. What's, the, a, what's the one you're most proud of? Uh, there, you know, there are, there's so many. I mean, in, in Abel's body of work, I think the the first one that I thought was really, you know, for me was something that I was happy with and I came away very happy musically. It was called Ms. 45. And it was really sort, it was his third feature and it was one that really, uh, I think, made a mark for him. Although he was really getting this reputation downtown before that. Ms. 45, I think, really was significant and musically it was really good and it was, you know, it was a uh, a, pro- a learning process for me because I had no, I mean, I had taken a, a course of film scoring, but until you have done it, you you don't really know what it's like or what to expect. And I think because Abel's instincts as a filmmaker were so strong, it kind of walked me through the process to start with. And Ms. 45 is great. I think in his body of work, King of New York was one that, was just a great film and I came away very happy with the score. Body Snatchers was the the biggest budgeted film that we did. So it was really, it had the, uh, it just had this big look and sound and it was a very kind of orchestral score and I'm very happy with that. You know, there've been a lot of, a lot of films, especially with Abel that, I put high on my my list. Now, do they when they hire musicians for a film back then, they could buy hire in a whole orchestra, right? Yeah, you know it's, you know I came in right on the sort of ground floor of what the agents in Hollywood call principally electronic scores, and this was a a style that started up in the really in the late 70s maybe 1980 somewhere around around then there were a couple of composers tomita was one and uh wendy carlos who were putting out records of symphonic music that was all synthesized so that was sort of the beginning of that trip and jan hammer with miami vice really made it a thing that you could do a score completely electronically which you did right right so but because i was a keyboard player and a piano player and yeah, just, and an arranger and orchestrator i first of all i had the axes you know i had the <laughs> the instruments which really helped yeah. and i had a bit of a recording setup so i got in early on on that so i think it it became a, a bit of a niche for me that i could create scores principally electronic meaning 
And you're continuing to do these scores. You have four. I, I continue to do them in, in a similar way. There have been a few that were all acoustic and all live musicians, but typically for me, it'll be, I may, I may lay out an orchestration where elements of that orchestration oh, are. Tell me about Siberia. Siberia is a, is the latest one. This is one that, uh, you know, first of all, Dan, the, the film itself was four or five years in, in the making. It took a long time to get this off the ground, even with, with Abel and Willem attached to the project and it being Abel's baby. You know, this was the thing that he was working so, so hard on. Willem, Willem Dafoe? Willem Dafoe, right, exactly. And finally, it got budgeted. This had to be, I'm thinking it was like 18 months ago, or two years, maybe two years ago, going on two years ago. After all this time of trying to get it going, it finally happened, right? And it's really a beautiful film. It's a, a journey from the, essentially from the, the tundra to the desert and back. And it's all all basically takes place in the mind of the of the main character played by Willem Dafoe and based on I guess loosely based on the writings of Carl Jung or some of the writings of Carl Jung so it's this very dreamlike ethereal abstract piece right it's a beautiful film uh, in in every way uh, and it was very finally put together. I mean, every frame and every sound, every bit of scoring, every edit, everything was just meticulously done. It's really, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. They have a launch date for it yet? Uh, you know, it's, we, we were in Berlin. I'll tell you the date. It was something like February 22nd. And it was a, this whole red carpet <laughs> deal, right? So we flew over, PJ and I were, were over there and, and Willem and Abel and the whole crew. And we bring a, uh, also have a band that travels to some of the festivals because Abel's a guitarist and a, a singer. And we'll perform at all, you know, we've performed at all the major film festivals along with screenings. So they'll screen the film, then they'll set up a concert, we'll play the gig. It's like a whole thing, right? And we were in Berlin and we did all of that. Everything was being um, photographed. There was a video crew covering everything from the, the, you know, from the red carpet thing to the gig to Willem and Abel and interviews and all this stuff. And we got back from Europe at the very end of February and then the virus kicked in. <laughs> but so, the, the festival wouldn't have, if it had been a week later, the festival probably would have been canceled, right? What was the festival? But, yeah, it was a Berlin Film Festival. So we had this big debut at, at Berlin. And yes, we did get distribution from being in competition in the festival, but everything was short-circuited by the, uh, by the yeah. coronavirus. Tell me a little bit about Montauk. Uh, Montauk, you, yeah. Um, do you like, are you a swimmer or were you a surfer? Originally? You know, I love, I, I'm not a surfer and I do, I do love to swim and we're, 
kind of ocean side here. So there's not a lot of swimming. You have to go over to, uh, I'll go over to Navy beach or something where it's very, you know, I guess it's Bayside and it's, it's a rocky beach, but a nice, a nice hang either that or, uh, Jim beach, which is out by the, by the airport, East Lake, East Lake drive. Yep. But Montauk is great. You know, we're right. We're very close to town. We're basically in town. So I, I love it. I'm always yeah. on my bicycle and I'm in and out and, on Surfside Drive, uh, East Lake, uh, East. Um, East, not not East Lake, uh, South Elmwood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, yeah. So we're right, we're right yeah. here. We're a block off the ocean. So, it, you know, it's not a bad life, Dan. You know, it's you know we've been out we've been out here. You know, we have family. My wife PJ grew up here. She grew up in uh, Camp Hero, so she's had a long, long connection with this place out here and it's a marvelous wonderful place and a lot of great musicians as you as you well know you know there uh, uh there is a you know very sweet music community out here yep and and, and you know for years Peter was saying you know you have to start playing in the Hamptons you have to start playing and I was like yeah but how do you do that you know and maybe 10 years ago you know i, I bought an instrument and I thought, you know, I know Nick's on the beach has bands here, you know, maybe I'll go over there and just like hang around and somebody <laughs> will ask me to jam or I'll ask somebody if I can jam with them. And I, I sort of did that. And then I was wor like working all over the East End, like right away. So it was- When does Montauk cool. have its music festival? I know there is- they, It's usually the second or third week of, uh, of May. Uh, Ken Gen uh, Giustino, Kenny Giustino puts his thing on. And I think they, I'm sure they got canceled this year because it was right in the middle of the- uh, You've been playing in that. You've been playing in that. You know, we played, we played the opening night of the, of the first one. And then a few years ago, I think I did a couple of songs. You know, it's been a little on and off with that, but it's a, it's a really- Good thing, I think, for the community that Ken, Ken so. Kenny does it for sure. And uh, South, not Southampton, um, Sag Harbor also has a very, very nice festival every year. And that's been sidelined by all of this stuff. What, uh, is there anything you did for, uh, I, I know you've done a lot of scoring for TV, episodic TV shows. Right. You did War of the Worlds. I'm reading this, Digging right. for Truth for the History Channel. Yep. And one of them, which won an Emmy, uh, Lost Civilizations. Yes. Tell me if you have any memory of any of that stands out from any of those, working on any of those. They they all stand out. War of the Worlds was was a syndicated production. It had a, actually had a pretty good run. And I think I came in in the second season. And I, I think I scored like 26 of these shows. It was a high, you know, it was a high pressure deadline scene. It was, right, it was produced in Toronto. And I would be in the studio upstate because we have a, uh, a place up by Nyack and, a, you know, and a house and studio there as well. I, and I would f furiously work for, I had maybe 10 days of turnover on those scores and talk about wall to wall dance. That was music from beginning to end of every episode. And it was like 
it was I know you I know you know about deadlines and it's a similar situation where it has to be in on time and then I would fly to this was the days before electronic transmission and Zoom meetings and all, all of this stuff. I mean, it was fed, you know, you had to get to the FedEx by seven o'clock or you were screwed, basically. You wouldn't deliver. And then the, the what they call the spotting sessions, which are where you sit at a, you know, a, a boardroom table with the director, producer, and any number of uh, people involved in post-production, editors, et cetera, and you screen the whole show. You take notes and time code numbers, and it's very, very exact. It's Q here, Q here, Q here. And then I would fly back up to up to Nyack, square the thing, and then get back there a week later. And that was a, a year of doing it. War of the Worlds was a, was a nice production and a, and a good gig in... Uh, in every way. I know one that I worked. I worked with Dan, Danny Aiello did a, a CBS series for a year called Della Ventura. That was a sweet situation. What's sweet. a typical day like for you in Montauk? You wake up in the morning. You know, it's, I tell you, it's, uh, life is, uh, it's, it's busy. Uh, yesterday, I mean, I, I get up, I have breakfast, I I do my workout, I meditate and and do yoga as well. So I do like a more of a, a high impact workout and then yoga meditation. And then I get on with it and see what the day brings. Yesterday was was interesting. I I I play sometimes with Nancy Atlas, who you guys I'm sure know. I'm I, I'm sure you know her, Dan. And she, and she because of again because of this pandemic Everybody has been sidelined by it, but you know Nancy is is so great, and she she's been doing a series of both virtual shows and videotaped concerts, right? right? And her her piano player Neil, who's a great guy and a great piano player, has been he's been in Florida, and I, I don't think he's been around the East End so much lately. And she'll call me in and I'm kind of his understudy, if you will. And I love it because I love pl- playing with Nancy and I love her music and and her band. It's really, you know, I'm always grateful to get the call with her. So yesterday we spent the day in the talk house filming shows that will appear online. I don't have any details on, on it. And we did that last week as well. So it's been... There's been activity, you know, and I'm really grateful for that because so many musicians have been hit really hard by the uh, by all that's been been happening, you know, especially the guys who, you know, the journeyman guys who are like out there for that hundred days that we have in season and are working. I mean, I know musicians who do nearly a hundred gigs in those hundred days. They're just up, they're back and forth from from Hampton Bays to Montauk all day long. And, and those guys have taken, have taken a hit. But a typical day for me is there's no shortage of things to do. And also I have, have a studio here. So I'm back and forth with, with Abel and his team in Europe. And on any given day, I might be given a call and say, hey, you have to write a, a cue 
deliver a, you know, I was, a book. I was thinking more about Montauk itself because we I'm in love with Montauk. And you I, I love it. I'm like the local guy uh, the, with the wacky, <laughs> the wacky bicycle helmet <laughs> on this little green electronic bike and I'm all over town and everybody knows me here you know the it's a Montauk is a wonderful community I, I love it myself and I, I I know so many people in the town and I feel very uh, very at home here well then thank you very much Joe Delia uh, for being on the show and I look forward to following your career as uh, time goes by thank you Dan <laughs>